In Revelation 15, we read, And I saw, as there were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of gold. And they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. And I found this little song. And you know, there's, there's a, lots of troubled times ahead of us, but we need to look to Christ because he has all the answers and he'll see us through. And this little song talks about what it's going to be like to sing redemption song.
Would you open your King James Bibles this morning to the 17th chapter of John, please? Seventeenth chapter of John, the prayer of our Creator and Savior Jesus Christ. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given them, I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those which thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And now, Come I to thee, and these things I spake in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil." They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent them into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, they, that they may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, and that 
they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, and that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known me, known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. Praise God for this prayer which is answered, my brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Let's kneel together and let's remember Sister Porter also this morning. As far as possible, can we kneel together? Our God and Heavenly Father, on the blessed Sabbath hours, Lord, to meet together as your church and as your children and to know that Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body. Lord, it's a privilege. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that you remember Sister Porter, Lord, and Brother Porter also in this wonderful hour, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you'll send healing there and your power which can speak a world and the galaxies and the universe beyond into creation. May speak, Lord, healing to them, for thou art the King of Israel. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that this Sabbath day, as the Elder Spirit breaks to us the bread of life and speaks to us, Lord, the word of God, that we may have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that really believe. May we understand, Lord, that we're meeting with the monarch of the universe this day. And may angels be here in this place. Hold back the powers of darkness, Lord, for this place is sacred. And, Lord, may we become like him who died for us. And, Lord, may this prayer for unity, we know that Jesus prayed, may be answered individually in our lives as we prepare for his second coming. Bless our meeting this day with thy presence. And thy spirit we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's good to be back again. It's always a pleasure to come to back to Britain and meet you people. Since I was here last year, I mean, I've been many, many places. I met the Roses in Malaysia at our meeting there. We had about 300 people from 11 countries. And uh, the only thing I can say is that the Lord is richly blessing. I would like to say that uh, we appreciate the Robies. They've come over 
brother and sister Roby have been in the prison work now for 14 years. They've been on a stipend with Hope International for about four and a half years for their prison work. Uh, he holds credentials from the uh, the um, uh, the state of California as a chaplain for the prison work. Goes into prisons. If you want to listen to some interesting stories, you want to listen to some of the stories he has to tell. In the last, I think he told me in the last couple of months, he's baptized about 15 people in prison. And uh, we surely need to heed the Savior's words when he said, uh, you know, you visited me in prison. Because uh, there may be, uh, percentage-wise, there may be more people saved out of some of these prisons than some of the people on the street. I only have one desire this morning, and that's to hold Jesus up before you people. Some of my comrades this morning... I guess we can use comrade now. The communist world's fallen. But some of my fellow ministers this morning said, what are you going to preach on? And I said, well, I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm never sure till I stand up. But uh, I had a topic that uh, gives me quite a bit of latitude, walking with God. And as I came into this uh, this morning... As I sat down here, suddenly the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, use, Revela- use John 17. And so, as he has read this beautiful prayer, probably the most beautiful prayer and the, the most beautiful chapter in the entire Bible, I believe, is in John 17. Jesus was pouring out his heart. He had come to the, to the climax of his ministry. And he only had one thing ahead of him, and that was the cross. And friends, we cannot, as finite human beings, begin to comprehend what Jesus was going through. I mean, some of us here have been through some trials and tribulations of different sorts. But here's a man but also God. He's a God-man. And he was the one that spoke this world into existence. Now, for you and I to comprehend that beyond our our understanding, because we just, uh, being finite beings, I mean, we just have never seen anything like that. But here's a God that, as it says in Psalms 33, 6 and 9, it says, He spake and it was done. He commanded and it was there. He stood fast. It was this God, according to Ephesians 3, 9 and Colossians 1, 16 and Hebrews 1, it was this God that after he had made this beautiful world and everything was in place, I mean, beautiful birds were flying through the air, warbling their lovely songs. Animals were roving over the hillsides and down through the valleys. I mean, beautiful forests were standing there. Trees that you and I can't even visualize today. You might get a better look of what it might have been as you, um, if you've ever been to the redwoods of California or the sequoias. I spent 
some of my younger years, about five of my younger years, falling timber in those great giants. I suppose, I suppose I've fallen thousands of them. And yet, those must be midgets, according to what God had originally created. I've fallen many trees, 12, 14 foot through. But in three, 400, 300 feet high. Now, when you began, can you imagine a God that could do that? Have, have trees instantly that tall, that big, and bigger? And has the ability now to not only create all of this, but then to fashion and design a human being to look like himself? To act like God? That's what God wanted. And can you imagine when this great God, after he had designed this beautiful being, and he's laying there on the ground, and, and uh, he doesn't, uh, doesn't move, he doesn't think, his circulatory system is in place. His heart is there. Every, every organ of the body is in place. But it's not functioning. And this great God looks down at this beautiful being and kneels down and says, He looks like me. But he, he doesn't act yet. And so he breathes into him his breath. And instantly that heart, that beautiful heart, that, that heart that God had put into this man begins to function. And I mean it beats. And now the blood is flowing through the circulatory system and it reaches his brain. And now the eyes are fluttering and, and he opens his eyes and he looks into the face of God. Can you imagine what a moment that was? Looking into the face of God. I imagine his first question was, who are you? And then he looks at himself and says, and who am I? And now watch as God picks this beautiful man up to his faith. Now, Ellen White makes some statements to the effect that at least man was twice as big as we are. You know, well, I'm a fraction. I've shrunk a little bit. I used to be around six feet. But as you get 69 years old, you start to go in the other direction. But... Um, <clears throat> let's say he was 12 feet but mathematicians have told me that he would be twice as thick and twice as wide and that he could have weighed around 1800 pounds and here is this giant of a man standing alongside of this God who is able to do all of this and now watch as he as this God puts his arm around this beautiful being and embraces him said, I made you to be like me, to think like me, to act like me. You see, I'm going to show you my garden, and you're my caretaker. And so God puts his arm around this beautiful man, and he walks him through this beautiful place. And I can just hear and say, my, it's marvelous, it's wonderful. I'm the gardener. And after they had looked at everything, he takes him back and he, I can hear Adam say, but God, there's only one of me, two of everything else. And God says, I've got a great plan. Remember now, this is the same God in John 17. 
And he puts this man to sleep, takes a rib out of his side, and makes the most beautiful thing of creation. He creates a woman. Can you imagine the meeting? He's waking up, and he looks up and sees God, and he sees this beautiful creature standing alongside of God. And he raises him again to his feet and introduces him to Eve. And then he says, now look, the sun is just beginning to rest over the forest, trees, in this beautiful garden. And as they stand there, he said, now look, I want you to put your hands together. And can you imagine there, they st- they're standing there in this beautiful robe of light that God had made. And they put their hands together. And God pronounces a man and wife. Now he, he, he says, look. The sun is about to set. The Sabbath that I have made. That I'm blessing and I'm sanctifying is about to begin. And Jesus keeps the Sabbath with Adam and Eve. Oh, friends, it's true. You believe it? You're here today because you believe that everything I've said is true. But the God who did that is the God who came in our nature. And our fallen condition. He was willing to come down to where we are in our stature, in our physical being, and take all the falling of 4,000 years. So he could experience what we experience. To accept every temptation that we have and way beyond. So that he could... We could follow his example in victorious living. Because the 17th chapter, the whole context of the 17th chapter of John is victory. You believe that? The whole 17th chapter. Jesus sees that his ministry up to this point, and he realizes to the church who had was ready to kill him, that he was a failure. I mean, from all signals, I mean, everybody was about to leave him. I mean, the disciples were hanging on by their, by their fingertips, but the great crowds, now, in the 17th chapter, the great crowds weren't coming anymore. Because as you go on to the, to the other chapters, you find quickly how the, thing is, the whole process is developing. And the experience of the 17th chapter of John is the experience that every one of us need today. Because if we love Jesus with all of our hearts and souls and minds and bodies, there's only one thing that should be in our hearts, and that is to see him. Because if you love him with all your heart, if you really believe that he was the one that did it, that created it, then we have to believe that he can recreate us. Amen. That we 
if we fall upon him and know that we can't, but willingly believe that he can, that he can recreate us. That we can stand then one day soon before our great God. Perfect. Victorious. Over all our hereditary and cultivated weaknesses to sin. You see, there is, there is, is the ninth verse of the 17th chapter. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Marvelous. And then in the 17th verse, it says, Sanctify them, them through thy truth. Thy word is what? Truth. Amen. So, Jesus is truth. His word is truth. And there is only one way to the kingdom of God, my friends, and that is through truth, through Jesus. You know what gives me great concern? I've been in the independent ministries now almost 11 years. I will be 11 years in July. But what concerns me more than anything else of going to these meetings all over the world and preaching? And I want to tell you, I praise God for health and strength to do this. Uh, I don't know I'm 69, and I praise God for that. But let me tell you this. What gives me great concern is that I go from meeting to meeting, and I meet wonderful people like yourselves. You're the best people in the world. And yet? I find that many people like yourselves are interested. But friends, I find that most of the people that I meet in these meetings go back to their homes and go right back into the same old rut. They go back to their television sets. They go back and uh, they remember what a blessing they received. And then I find another problem, that they listen to one man and think that's good. Then they go at another time and listen to another man and they think that's good. And one, one may be preaching the exact opposite of the other and they don't know the difference. They just say it sounds great. Friends, let me tell you, Jesus is the word. And you better put your lives on the line with Jesus. You better get into the word of God. Because only those, only those that are going to be sanctified is by the truth. And let me tell you, this is the truth. And this is the truth. And as we stand before the great tribunal, the judgment a day, we're not going to have any excuse that we didn't have an opportunity for truth. And it's up to you, not to preachers like myself or uh, Pastor Hornberger or Pastor... Uh, Roby or uh, Clark or whoever. It's not up to us. It's up to you. It's your responsibility. We can encourage you. We can pray for you. We can preach to you. But friends, you've got to do something. Now you can't do anything to be saved, but if you don't do something, you're going to be lost. But you don't do it to be saved. You do it because he saved you. You love him so much, you just can't help yourself. 
You don't want to disappoint this great God that could do all of this. Let's look at Yosemite. The greatest moment, I believe, in Christ's life took place at Gethsemane when he made up his mind to go through. Here were his disciples sleeping, moon shining down. The chill of the night was there. And here's this God that spoke the world into existence, that made these beautiful beings This God, now in human form, down on the level with all these other people, millions of them now, never reserved anything for himself. Desire of Ages 664 says he used no quality or no power that we can't have. So he he accepted nothing that you and I have not access to. But here's this God now, the moon shining down on him, Disciples are sleeping. He's woken them twice and said, Hey, listen, I need some help. Please come and pray with me. They said, Yes, Lord. Went right back to sleep. You know, that's about where we're all at. Jesus is crying out today to all of us and saying, Look, probation's about to close. My ministry in the most holy place is just about to come to an end. I'm just about ready to throw the censor down. And you've got to wake up. Now listen. And there he is on his knees. Talking to his father all night long. Pleading with his father for power and strength to go through what is about to happen. And the blood actually comes out of his pores. Nobody's ever had that experience here. You know what did it? Your sins and my sins. 4,000 years, for 4, years behind him and 2,000 years ahead of him, all the sins of all the people in the world, billions of us, that was what was resting upon him. And as those sins pressed down on him, my friend, it forced out the blood out of his paws. And now, the other disciples are now awake. They, why, the soldiers are there. Jesus said, come on, it's time. They've come for me. They're rubbing the sleep out of their eyes and walking, stumbling along with him, and there they are, Roman soldiers. There's Judas. Probably the most tragic moment of life, Christ's ministry was in that hour. Because instantly, friends, I mean... Peter's gone, John's gone, everybody's gone. We've got to save our skins, you know. No, they got him. I mean, there's no sense of all of us going. So, I mean, they rationalized and they left. The darkness covered them. And there, there that, that experience of, you know, Peter, before he ran, he bragged to Christ, don't worry, God. Don't worry, Jesus. You don't have to worry. I mean, I'm, I'm well able to take care of you. I mean, I, I look at Peter as a big fisherman, been pulling nets all his life. He probably had big muscles and arms and shoulders on him. And <clears throat> to make sure he could live up to his boast, he took a, a sword in his sash 
And uh, in an instant, I mean, when they step forward, I mean, wow. You know, I mean, he pulls out that sword. Now, praise God, he was a bad shot because he wanted to kill the guy. You know, he was, he was going to cut his head off. But he only got an ear. I've often thought what Jesus would have done if he'd have got his head. But here's our loving Savior in that moment. And let me tell you, the dynamics of that moment is hard for us to visualize. He reaches down and takes that old bloody ear and puts it back on. Now that should have been enough, shouldn't it? That should have been enough. I mean, the Roman soldier said, hey, that's enough. I mean, I'm leaving. But, I mean, now Jesus is in chains. Nobody's there. And he's walking, you know, to, he's walking down to Caiaphas and to talk to, talk to Caiaphas. But we won't take time to go through the trial, except for Peter. Poor Peter. He meant so well. Had such great intentions. Strong physically, but he just couldn't make it. And to prove that he didn't know him, he uses some old fishing talk, you know. And then when the cock crows, he looks at Jesus and eyes of Jesus are burning into his soul. And that's, he can't take it anymore. And he, he runs out. Ellen White says he ran back to the very spot where Jesus prayed. And he throws himself on the ground, and I can hear him beating the ground. and said, why did I do it? Why did I do it? But friends, the point is this. That Ellen White tells us in volume 5, 136, to stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us to fight the battles of the Lord, when champions are few. This will be our test. Amen. Peter failed it. He had three years to de develop a character that it could have stood the test, but the character wasn't there. Think. He slept with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He breathed the same air. And yet, he failed the test. Friends, that should alert us. We have a test to make. And we say, well, I could never do what Peter did. But you wait and see. If you don't have the character of Christ perfectly reproduced in you, if you then, if you don't have that character, you're not going to be able to respond the right way. When you're persecuted, when you're put in chains, when you're thrown in a dungeon, when you're standing in front of a firing squad or on standing on a scaffold with a neck around, a rope around your neck, it's only then, my friends, that where the character of Christ, perfectly reproduced, will give you the ability, this, the, the, the ability to, to stand there and praise God for your opportunity to witness. You see, the whole 17th chapter is a chapter, friends, of prayer. Do we know how to pray? Or are we still mumbling words like lay me down to sleep? 
Do we know what it means to really be in that relationship of prayer? Prayer is not just a position that you get in. Prayer is an attitude of mind. An attitude that you wake up with in the morning. An attitude that you walk through the day. An attitude that goes to bed with you. And that attitude, my friends, only comes from one source. From the Creator. From the one who made the world, the one that created Adam. It comes from Him. No one else. But let me tell you, friends. Unless you know how to pray. Unless we know how to pray, we'll never make it. The reason that Peter failed was he didn't know how to pray. He thought he did. But you see, he even the disciples said, teach us to pray. Because they'd listened to Jesus pray, and they wanted to pray like that. But here they came to the test, and all the disciples failed, because they didn't know how to pray. No friend. The 17th chapter of John, my friends, is the greatest prayer that was ever uttered by human lips. Amen. And his prayer is this. In the 19th verse, for, for their sake, I sanctify myself that they might be sanctified through the what? The truth. And friends, can you defend it? Can you defend it with your life? See, the truth is an experience. You can know the doctrine. And you look at John 17, 17. And uh, it gives us a promise. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether he be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now, we can know the doctrine. We can be able to give an explanation. But if we don't have the experience of Jesus, we can't make a demonstration. And that's our problem. We're not making a demonstration of what God's done in us. And therefore, we're reluctant to open our mouth. We hate to go in gathering. We hate to go in and do these different things when we have to one-to-one. We're scared to death, many of us, of how we're going to handle the problem. But let me tell you, friends, when you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when he has charge of your mind and life, there's only one thing. It spills out of you spontaneously. You can't be quiet. No problem there. Amen. Jim was with us on the plane coming over, and the uh, the stewardess uh, realized there was something different about the three men. She was up farther. They were sitting up uh, many seats ahead of us. And uh, so uh, I guess she took a bottle of wine and a deck of cards, and she says, I'm going to corrupt you, man. She apologized later on, but, I mean, Jim sat, because of that type of introduction, Jim sat there and told her the whole truth. Now he has her address and phone number, and she's going to get a Bible study. Amen. Why? Because Jim had an experience and he made a demonstration of the love of Jesus. And she knew they were different by looking at them. She knew, and that's why she brought the deck of cards and the, and the bottle of wine to see if they were really genuine. You see? 
But let me tell you, friends, we need an experience of John 17. We need to be sanctified through the truth every day of our life. You know how the devil has delayed the coming of Jesus? For over a hundred years, he has delayed the coming of Jesus because he got Seventh-day Adventists so educated, so professional, so involved with life and taking care of life's problems that we didn't have time for this. And the time for these spirit of prophecy. So we carried our Bibles to church on Sabbath morning. And uh, we carried them home, put them back on the shelf. That's as about as far as many religion went. But friends, if we're going to be sanctified through the truth, if we're going to answer the prayer of Jesus, because you see the, the prayer of Jesus, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are mine. If we're going to answer the prayer of Jesus, my friends, and the 11th verse, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to the Holy Father to keep them through thy own name, whose, who, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. That is it. We've got to be one with Jesus like Jesus is one with the Father. Amen. And that takes time, friends. It takes discipline. And that's what we don't have. We don't know how to discipline our time. We'd rather watch television. We'd rather sit down and be at ease and comfortable with a sumptuous meal. But we're not seeking after God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our mind and all of our bodies. We don't know what that is. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If ye seek me, ye shall find me when ye shall what? Search for me with how much? All oh, your heart. Anything less will be lost. In the light of that, friends, where do we stand this morning? Are you seeking with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Is the, the one great purpose in your life is to, to, to uphold him before the world, before in your home. And let me tell you, you need to bring Jim back here sometime and put on his seminar on the home with his wife. Because, friends, that's our biggest problem is our homes. We don't know how to manage our homes. And therefore, my friends, our children have been growing up for generation after generation. We now have the statistics from the General Conference that 71% of the youth of the Seventh-day Adventist Church have already gone. And we're only 4% in North America behind the world in divorce. And 46% of our new converts leave us every year. Something's gone wrong. And we can't turn around to the, and point our fingers at the brethren and say, they did it to us. No, we did it to ourselves. We did it to ourselves. We say, well, we sent our kids to the schools and Look what happened. But friends, before they got to school, what happened in the home? There's where the problem started. The altar, the family altar, has not been in the Adventist home. Oh, yes, there's few of you, I'm sure. Many of you here probably have had the altar there. 
But many of the Seventh-day Adventists today have no altar in their home. If there's even a prayer made, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, they kneel down and race out to the car and the kids are in the car to go to school. And I mean, they're gone for the day, television at night. I mean, uh, there's an atmosphere, friends, that is wrong in the, in the Adventist home today. And we, our only hope of survival in what lies ahead of us is getting our home right getting our lives right. We have to be sanctified by the truth. Now what does it mean to be sanctified? Jesus sanctified the Sabbath. He set it apart. He distinguished it from the rest of the days. And now he wants to sanctify us through the truth and set us apart from the world. So the, the world can tell the difference. The world's looking at Adventism today and saying, well, you, you, know, you, you look like us. You dress like us. You wear, you wear the same things that we wear. I mean, jewelry is now uh, uh, the in thing in the Adventist church by many, many people today. You go into Adventist churches, they've got, the, they got the jewelry on and the things hanging on their ears and around their necks. Now, you eat the same food as we do. The only difference is you go to church Saturday, we go to church Sunday. That's the way they're looking at Adventists right now. And let me tell you this thing in Waco, Texas. And let me tell you, uh, one of the conference presidents in North America got on the television and said, yeah, we have nothing to do with that man. I mean, he's, a, he's an offshoot, but we got a lot of offshoots. You know, and I'm sure he was pointing because he didn't live too far from me. But let me tell you, friends, we're coming down to, to D-Day. I mean, uh, let me tell you, Jesus is about ready to make his landing back on this planet. And he's going to take a lot of people out. We've got to be one of them. We've got to be part of them. What do you say? Amen. And if we're really, really sincere in that, then we better do something. We better change our lifestyles. We better get in earnest about getting our life in, 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 in a relationship to God. That where God, this great prayer of Jesus can be answered. It says in the 14th verse, I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So, friends, the tragedy today that the world loves Seventh-day Adventists. I mean, they, they say we do a great work all over the world. We're noted for our hospitals that are going busted right now. You know, we're known for our educational system that's completely out of whack. But... I mean, the world is going to hate those that love Jesus, that have the character of Christ perfectly reproduced. The world's going to hate us. Amen. They're going to persecute us. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Yeah, it's going to be persecuted. And the reason you read the Great Controversy 48, the reason we're not persecuted, because the world doesn't know the difference between us and them. Then it says, the 15th verse, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. Oh, friends, what we need is, is a mind that can grasp the great things of God. A mind that is so pure and holy that temptations fly out as fast as they fly in. They're never retained for a moment because we hate sin and love righteousness. 
Turn with me, if you will, over to the, to the Romans, the 8th chapter. Romans, the 8th chapter, is one of the great chapters of the Bible. <clears throat> By the way, you know, today many people are using chapter 7 and say that's a converted man. Well, they didn't read chapter 8. I mean, if you read chapter 8, you can sure see that Paul's not talking about conversion, the converted man in chapter 7. But listen to this. There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The third verse, for what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin of the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There it is. There it is. You see, there is the converted man who walks after the Spirit, not after the flesh. Now let's talk for a moment about justification and sanctification. Because Jesus says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. What does it mean to be sanctified? So you can't be sanctified without first being justified. And you know, there's only one way to be justified. You just don't confess your sins. You forsake them. Not by what you do, but what God will do in you if you want him to do it. See, we've been confessing our sins and thinking, well, praise God, I'm justified. But unless you're willing to forsake that sin, you're not justified. If you're, if you're practicing known sins or neglecting known duty, Ellen White says in Selective Message, Volume 1, 366, she says you're not justified. And the only way you can continue in justification is through obedience to all truth. And that means on every bit of truth. And that means also that you're not satisfied with what you have now, but you want more. And you're on your knees crying out to God for more truth. As you live up to truth, then God will give you more truth. But if you're not willing to live up to what you got, there's no more truth for you. In Testimonies of Ministers 507, it says... There it was by confession and forsaking of sin, by earnest prayer and consecration of themselves to God, the early disciples prepared themselves for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Only those that are living up to all the light they have will receive greater light. Unless you are daily advancing the exemplifications of active Christian virtues, you will not recognize the manifestation of the Holy Spirit of the latter reign. It may be falling on all around you, and you will not discern it nor receive it. Friends, as you read early writing 71, so many of our people are, 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 are going to be left out. Because they made no preparation. This statement alone should jar our thinking as we look at this. It says, I also saw that many do not realize what they must be in order to live in the sight of the Lord without a high priest in the sanctuary through the time of trouble. Those who receive the seal of the living God... <coughs> And are protected in the time of trouble must reflect the image of Jesus fully. And then she goes on. I saw that many were neglecting the preparation of the need uh, so needful and were looking to the time of refreshing and the latter rain to fit them to stand on the day of the Lord and live in his sight. Oh, how many I saw in the time of trouble without a shelter. 
They had neglected the needful preparation. Therefore, they could not receive the refreshing that all must have to fit them and live in the sight of the holy God. We should therefore be drawing nearer and nearer to the Lord and be earnestly seeking that preparation necessary to enable us to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. Let us all remember that God is holy and that none but holy beings can ever dwell in his presence. Jesus says, be ye holy even as I am holy. Now friends, that's a tremendous standard of righteousness. And we have put the standard down too low. We have to keep up, and only God can do it. I can't do it, you can't do it, but he can do it, but we must want him to do it, and he'll do it. What do you believe? What do you say? He will do it in you. But it takes time to do it, friends. And you've got to spend time with this. You've got to spend time with your Bibles every day. There's no shortcut. You can't, you can't settle down at ease with a television set in the evenings and think you're going to get ready for heaven, friends. There's going to be more Seventh-day Adventists in hell over television than any of one thing. It's a time consumer, friends. And it's going to take you to hell if you keep going at it. Friends, we've got to discipline our minds and make sure that every day that everything is right with God. Everything is right with our fellow human beings. There's no time for excuses. No time to now to, to try to postpone what has to be done today. We must do it now. We must be willing to be made willing to yield our will so completely to God's will that our mind can be God's mind, our thoughts can be God's thoughts, our very life can be God's, and all the power that God has then well, is our power to have victory over every thought, every word, every action. It says in Christ's Objectiveness 3.12, it says, By his perfect obedience he made it possible for every human being to obey his commandments. Amen. You believe that? Amen. Every human being. Just not Enoch. Just not the great men of the Bible, but you and me. Perfect obedience is, is, is the name of the game. Amen. Not by what you do, but what you want him to do in you. By his perfect obedience, he made it possible for every human being to obey his commandments. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged with his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. Oh, friends, that's the experience that will make a demonstration. You see, in 1888, God was making one great desperate effort to bring this church into that type of relationship in such a great experience that he could make the demonstration back there. He could cut his work short in righteousness. But unfortunately, the church turned away. But friends, that message that he gave in 1888 is here this morning. Same message. And let me tell you, the, de the devil's gone out of his mind. Because he can't keep it on down anymore. It's all over this world. I've met it every place. I've met it in Australia, New Zealand. I've met it in Malaysia and Singapore. I've met it in Europe. I've met it here. I've met it all through North America, Canada. It's everywhere. I just came from South America not too long ago. It's down there. It's breaking loose. They just, we were in, in a country in South America. They just fellowshiped a whole church just because of the message. Seventy people, they came to our meeting. We'd just been to Swallowship. Went to another town. 
preached the same message. And they said, we were told if we came to this message, about another 70 people, they said, if we, if we, came, we were told if we come to this meeting, that we're, we're going to be dysfunctional, all of us. But let me tell you, friends, one of the greatest signs of the soon coming of our Lord is what's happening in Adventism. Yes. Not just what's happening in Bosnia and Somalia and other places of the world. It's not the gay community out there. We, we find now that we've, we've got 25 million gays in, in America alone. And probably President Clinton is in office because he got the gay vote. And now he's going to legalize immorality. And let me tell you, you read, you read Luke 17, in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Then you read Genesis 19 and see what God did to Sodom. Sodom was a little town. Now we got a world. God's going to intervene. <coughs> God's going to do something. You believe it? He's going to do it, friends. And we better get ready. We better go to our homes after this meeting is over with. And friends, we better, we better start making some definite decisions in our life to get our lives in that relationship so that we can be, uh, make a demonstration for our God. Amen. Peter failed. But friends, he built on his failure and finally made a great demonstration. And I want to. I want to build. I want to build an experience that will make a great demonstration for my God, that God that could make the world, that could make everything, that could design human beings and breathe into them the breath of life and make them living souls. That God, I want to do something for Him. I want to make a demonstration of what He can do in me. How about you? I want to be sanctified by the truth every day. And the only way I can do, be sanctified by the truth every day, my friends, that I'm into the truth every day. And these beautiful books, and in this beautiful Bible. You can't just spend a minute once a week, or 10, or 15, or an hour. You've got to do it every day. Every day with God into the Word. And then, friends, you'll be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. And the character of Jesus, my friends, will then be duplicated in you day by day as you progress in your experience. The old hereditary weaknesses that you were born with and those that you've cultivated all your life will fall away. Bad tempers. Evil dispositions. You've got to have victory over it all. No excuses. No excuses. You see, if God took us to heaven without that experience, if we weren't, if we weren't, didn't have the character of Christ perfectly reproduced, you know what would happen? If there is 1% rebellion left in us, you know what we'd do? We'd be picking the gold off the street when nobody was looking and stuffing in our pockets so we could... You know, for a rainy day. That's the mentality of a person with 1% rebellion. Or we'd get a little group of people out in the corner someplace, and I've got a plan here how we can improve heaven. You say, well, that sounds absurd. No, it isn't. That's what Lucifer did. If you've got 1% rebellion left, friends, you're not trustworthy with eternal life. And God's not going to allow sin to come up again, so we've got to be absolutely sure 
of our experience in Jesus Christ every minute of our day. That we can reveal his character. We can, will then make a demonstration. Let me tell you, we'll bring persecution. Those that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And that may not be too far away. Some of you in this room. It could be in a year from now, or maybe sooner. could be in jail. Or we could be martyred. You read Revelation 20, verse 4. Those people give up their, lose their heads because they refuse the mark of the beast. That's still ahead of us. Ellen White says in, in the book Maranatha 199, she says there'll be many martyrs as we come to this moment. Uh, my wife thinks I got a martyr's complex, but I really don't. I want to live. I'd like to like to be translated, but let me the special resurrection in early writings two eighty five is good enough. Amen. If I'm choosing, I choose translation. But let me tell you, friends, I'm going to be there when the roll is called up yonder. How about you? Amen. Nobody's going to take my crown. Nobody. Nobody should take your crown. If somebody gets your crown, friends, it's not it's not anybody's fault but ours. And we've got to get in earnest. About our soul salvation. We better begin to prepare our souls like we never prepared ourselves in our lives before in study and prayer. Because, friends, we're at the last minutes of our probation, I believe. She says in, in the volume 7 of the commentary, 989, she says, probation closes suddenly, unexpectedly. Like that. It's all over with. The judgments of God are now in the land, I believe. When you look what happened in Florida, they wiped out about 200,000 homes. The hurricane went over to, to Hawaii and it did the same. And then you look at Los Angeles, they just about burned the place down. Every city in the world is a burning cauldron. And friends, it could happen any place, in London, any place. And that's why she says, out of the cities, out of the cities, out of the cities. She says, there'll come a time when you'll never get out. And friends, we need to be thinking, reading, studying, preparing. And when we're in that relationship where God can make a demonstration, God will direct us and lead us. We don't have to worry as long as we're right with God. Soon, sooner than your minds can now begin to comprehend, we'll see him. If you're faithful. If you're loyal, if you're obedient to all truth, if you're sanctified through the truth, if you're justified every day, if you're sanctified, because you can't separate justification and sanctification, if you're justified, you are also sanctified. Now, sanctified is the growth. Justification is the instant relationship that Jesus in, uh, invites you to have if you're so sorry for sinning you want to quit. But let me tell you, friends, we're... Dealing now with life or death. Amen. Eternal life or eternal death. Amen. What will it be? What will it be? You must give the answer. In this great hour, friends, we have the greatest opportunity. And, and of all the 6,000 years of the great controversy, this, you today, in this room, have the greatest opportunity of any other, any other people ever lived. To see the last moments of the great controversy. It's fulfilling every day. The newspaper 
in television, my friends, is showing us the last minutes of our, tele- of, of our, our history. And so few. You know, Jesus said, many are called, but what? Few are chosen. Why? Because people love this world so much, they wanted to stay. And if we're still here, when the rest have left, friends, it's because we love this world more than we love the Word. And so God, help us. Let's get into the Word. What do you say? Let's get into the Word every day. You know, I'm reading a book called Justified by Dr. Wallenkamp, a good friend of mine when I was at the General Conference 11, 12 years ago. He and I were close friends. Best book I've ever written on, on justification, sanctification. But I'm going through it step by step. I look at every Bible verse, every quotation by Ellen White. That's the way we need to study. Mark it, cross-reference it, get our minds. So people think that, that I have a marvelous mind. I don't. But it's been disciplined for many years. I have a very ordinary mind. Anything that I do in memorization, anybody in this room can do it. And we need to do it, friends. We need to memorize every day, filling our lives up. As I go for my walks in the morning, I'm, I'm continually quoting scriptures that I've memorized. And I only want to do one thing in life, that hold Jesus up before everybody. And every opportunity that I get, I want to tell what a great God I have. How many of you today are willing to dedicate yourself at least an hour a day in intensive study of the Bible, the Spirit, and prophecy, and preparing your life to get ready for the greatest event that has ever happened in the 6,000 years? Would you stand with me and dedicate yourself to that this morning? Now, it's one thing to stand up, friends. It's another thing to do it. It's another thing to do it. It takes discipline, you see. For many years, when I was much younger, I didn't need to be in bed too long. I used to get up 3.30 every morning. Never had an alarm clock. The Lord woke me up, put my feet on the floor. Not because I wanted to get out of bed, but the Lord just took my feet and put them on, on, on outside. And I just got up, went, took my hot and cold shower, and went to my study, got on my knees. And I spent three or four hours with the Lord in study before I ever got my breakfast. And it takes that type of discipline, friends. It takes that type of discipline to get out of here. You want to do it? Amen. You want to do it? Yes. Let's do it. Because I'm going to see Jesus soon. I'm going to live with him. I want to walk with him along the river of life. Amen. I want to walk with that God that could speak a world into existence. I want to walk with that God who could fashion and design a human being because we're the children of that creation. And I want to listen to him tell the story. Because it's that God, my friends, that went down to where we at to save us. Can you understand it? I can't. But I believe it. And I love him for it. That he was ready to come down and be where I'm at. And be tempted like I'm tempted. And be victorious over all without sin. Friends, so that I could follow in his steps. And, be, and follow his example. And live as he lived. So that I can make the same demonstration that he made. With my life. 
God help us. Because I want to meet you there one day. Amen. Along the river of life. At Jesus' feet. As he tells us the story. Of his sacrifice. So that we might live forever. Let us pray. God, we, we kneel in your presence realizing, Lord, that we're so frail. There's not, a good, not, good in, not any good in us, Lord. But, Lord, we pray, take us out of us and put Jesus in us this morning. May we sacrifice, Lord, anything that would stand in the way. May we learn how to discipline our time. May we covet those moments that where we can arise early in the morning and on our knees with our Bibles and spirit of prophecy that, we, Lord, that we can be sanctified by the truth. Encourage us now in this hour. Lord, we see the evidence is overwhelming that our redemption is much nearer than our minds are capable now of grasping. But, oh, God, we pray as we uplift you today before us in our lives that, God, we might soon be able to make that demonstration for you that you can cut your work short in righteousness. So bless this congregation. Encourage us, God. Keep us faithful until the end, that, God, that we might soon see thee as our earnest prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.
just bow our heads and may we ask God to bless the offering that has been taken up and to, to dismiss us from this service. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the many blessings you have given us in our life. We thank you for the way that you support us in our daily life and the, the money we receive. And many of us have in the past taken these things for granted. But may we realize that everything is held up in this world by your power. And everything belongs to you. So we thank you, Lord, for the blessings you have given us. So, Lord, now we pray you'll dismiss us from this service. And we pray that we will be back on time for the afternoon Amen. meeting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.